I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 4. And I'm going to spend the next few weeks, uh, the next few weekends here at Pathway, and I'm going to talk about something that I don't think is talked about enough in, in Christendom, in, in the church today. I'm going to talk about miracles uh, for the next four or five weeks. I'm going to talk about miracles. And um, for me, this series is pivotal and it's directional. And probably one of the most critical messages that I'm going to preach this year is today. So I'm glad you made it, right? I'm glad that you're here. Um, what I have to say today to me is kind of a cornerstone for our church as we move forward to get some clarity on some things and to really live the life that I think God has called us to live. Um, I, um, I think in my life, I think a lot of, a lot of believers and a lot of Christians, um, we say we believe in miracles. And some people don't. They'll just be honest. I, I don't believe in miracles. And there's always that tension and theology and all that. And, and I want to take on some of those things and bring some clarity uh, and even share some things. So I'm going to start. You're in Romans 4. I'm going to start in Psalm 77 because the psalmist in Psalm 77 makes a declaration that in, in my heart places a demand on who he believes God to be. And you need to understand that the burden of faith is not on God. It's on the believer. God is very certain. He is very sure. He is resolute in who he is. God is convinced of who he is and what he's able to do. God is not struggling from an identity crisis of who he is and what he's able to do. I think the breakdown is we have to know who God is and what he's able to do. So the burden of faith, faith is what moves heaven into the earth. Faith is the currency of heaven. But the burden of faith is not on God, it's on us. It's up to us what we believe. And whatever we believe about God will determine what God is able to do in our lives. And we can stand back on the sidelines and hope that God does something. But the way God set this whole thing up was God vacated a tomb. And then he said, I've done my part. That was a well-executed Selah moment where we just stopped and thought about it. God said, I've done my part. I've emptied the tomb. Jesus said, I've given you the authority. And so it is actually our faith that's going to determine. It's not our hope. It's not our well-wishing. It's not our mother's faith. It's not our parents' faith. It is actually our faith that will determine indeed what God does in our life and what God doesn't do. God can do anything, but God works through us. And so I want us kind of like the psalmist in Psalm 77, I want us to make this declaration. We're going to read this together. Psalm 77, verse 14. You can read this with me. I want everybody to read it. Even if you don't believe it, I want you to read it. And it says this, ready? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. Come on, let's read that again. You are the God who performs miracles. 
You display your power among the people. One more time. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people. We must decide as a people, as a church, do we serve a God who does miracles or do we serve a God who did miracles? I'm always amazed at dispensational theology, which is to say that because now we have canonized scripture. So God went through a process of filtering out and determined this will be our Bible all through history. And now we have what they call the canonization. So here is the formation of scripture. And people say that now that we have scripture, we no longer need God to do miracles because we have the story about when he did miracles. And my thought is, what is reasonable and rational about that? Why would I want to serve a God who did miracles to prove he was a God, but now that I have his word, he no longer cares about what I'm going through anymore? How can I stand and say, you are good, you are good, because you did miracles until we decided this is what you do, And now you just stop doing miracles because we don't need them anymore because you wrote a bestseller. (laughs) When God has declared, I am God, I do not change. God hasn't changed. We've changed who we believe him to be. Um, I, I think... You know, I think that I, I've, I've, I believe, I've always, I think, I've always believed in miracles. I've seen miracles. Um, I can bring you my birth certificate. My birth certificate, if we put it on the screens, would tell you that I was born uh, with paralysis in my right side. I can also bring you the videotapes where I was an all-district basketball player and even walked on to the, the football team at Bible school and played football, played tight end. I can show you both of those things. I, I, can, I can tell you the story about Julie and I got married and we have a very conclusive doctor's report that says it is 100% medically impossible for her to conceive children. Four months after we were married, we found out Luke was on the way. After Luke was born, we went back to the doctor. We did all the tests. He determined it is still 100% medically impossible for you to conceive children. And then Briggs was born. We didn't go back again to get another test at that point. <laughs> we felt, we, we knew what medicine would tell us. And, and her doctor at the time was a very Christian man. And he said, I can tell you that medicine cannot help you. You have a child because God moved. Amen. So I can tell you that. I can tell you what it's like to be out of town and get a call because uh, our, Luke was at his grandparents' house. And he said, it's really weird. He was, he was little, I don't know, five six years old, maybe he, he was little and he was spending the night, but he wouldn't get out of bed. And you know, when they're five or six, they get up at six o'clock. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, we're going to play and eat pancakes. We're at Nana's house, right? We're at pancakes and then honey buns, right? Because we're at Nana's. That's why you go to Nana's and then have Reese's cereal. Cause you're at Nana's and Nana's job is to give you or to induce a sugar coma. And so, but he wouldn't get out of bed and he wouldn't play with his cousin. And they went in and he said he couldn't move and they tried to move him and he screamed. And so they decided we got him in to see the doctor. And so my parents took him to the doctor and we're trying to get, we're trying to get back home now. And he's at the doctor and the doctor said, examine him and he's screaming. He can't walk. 
And he said, I know what this is. His hip has come out of place. And the only way to get this back in is surgery. Let's go down to the x-ray room and confirm this is what's going on and we'll schedule surgery. And I know what it's like to be on the phone with your little boy and he is screaming every time they touch him. And I also know what it's like to get the phone call right back from your dad to say, hey, son, God moved. And on the x-ray table, God put his hip back in socket and we're going to go home and play now after we stop and get a hamburger (laughs) and a milkshake and some ice cream because it's nanas. (laughs) And so I, I know that God has done miracles. We've seen God do miracles in our church. We've seen a deaf ear open. We've seen eczema heal, plantar's fasciitis heal. We had a, another disease with, with a small child that was healed, and I can't really explain it all, um, but it was healed. We, we've seen that. But I think that a lot of Christendom, and even maybe I was guilty myself of saying, miracles are kind of a luxury. Like, if they happen, great, right? Um, but, but, you know, they're kind of peripheral, Like we want God to do them, but if God doesn't do them, thank God we have good doctors. And I want to say this and I need to say this. I believe in doctors. We have good doctors that go here. Does that make sense? I'm not saying I'm against medicine because I've been misunderstood. If you're a pastor, I've decided you're misunderstood. You're many times quoted as saying things you never said. And people will tell you they're leaving the church for theological differences and they never even ask you what your theology is. They, they take a sound bite from a podcast and they make a conclusion, get offended and leave. And I understand sometimes I say things and I can't say everything I know. You don't want to stay that long. I already talk long enough as it is. <laughs> but I'm just saying as a pastor, you, you're mostly misunderstood, misquoted, and you get weird emails about things you said that you never said. And you go listen to all the podcasts. I'm like, I didn't say anything. I don't even know what in the world they heard. But anyway, so I understand um, because sometimes church people just look to get offended when they go to church. Like, I don't go to a restaurant hoping it's a bad experience, but sometimes people go to church that way. Um, they also can't handle a pastor who's not perfect. They want him to be vulnerable. They just get angry when he's not perfect. It's kind of like a therapy session. I feel better. Anyways, <laughs> anyways but, but the point is, I believe in doctors, and, and I thank God for doctors. I thank God for medicine. When I have a headache, I thank God for ibuprofen, and I take as many as it takes to make the headache stop while praising Jesus in the process. I, I believe in that. So I'm not, I'm not being dogmatic here to say God has to heal every time and God doesn't ever use doctors or medicine or whatever the case may be. We go to doctors, our children go to doctors. Are we all clear on that? Because I've been very misquoted in this area. Um, but what I, what I want to say is that I don't think miracles are peripheral. I think they're actually critical to our faith. I think that the pursuit of miracles is critical to the Christian faith. I'm going to spend a few minutes proving that to you. But I want you to understand that we have to decide whether we serve a God who used to do miracles or a God who does miracles. And the burden of that faith is indeed on us. And as a church, I want this weekend, maybe not all of us, but maybe a few of us to decide We're going to chase the God of miracles. We're not just going to come have... Here's the problem I have. Can I just talk just a minute and then I'll preach? Here's the problem I have. Is we have a church nowadays, a Western church, where people show up on the weekends and pretend everything is okay. 
but they're addicted to stuff. Their marriages are falling apart. Their bodies are broken. They're financially destroyed. And we show up and sing, God is good. And then we go out and we live hell. I understand hell is in the world because of the fall. But heaven is in the world because of Jesus. And our role is not to accept less than what Jesus paid for. And we need to decide what he paid for. Because he didn't pay for us to come to church and leave here addicted to something. Hey, if that's where we're at, that's where we're at. We should be able to walk into church and say, I love Jesus and I'm addicted to something. And everybody say, praise God. Let's work from here. God has provided. Let's work from here. Let's believe from here. We should be able to come in and say, I'm disease ridden. And we say, that is terrible. But God has provided. Let's work from here. Do you hear what I'm saying? We should be able to come in and say, my family's falling apart because I can't deal with my anger and I don't know where it comes from. We ought to say, man, that's really hard. But that's the truth of what's going on. Let's work from here because Jesus paid for your freedom. We should not come week after week accepting less than what Jesus paid for. That might be where we are, but we shouldn't build a tent or a house to live there. Because according to God and the Bible and the psalmist, he is the God who performs miracles. He displays his power among the people. And we've got to decide if that's the God we're going to serve or if we're going to make up another God who does nothing. So I think it's critical to the Christian faith. And and let me tell you why. I think pursuing miracles is critical to to the Christian faith because chasing the miracle brings you closer to the miracle worker. I think chasing miracles is what actually develops a deep trust in God in you. I'm going to prove it from Scripture, but just in case you go to sleep after this, now you know what I'm about to tell you. Right? It is actually chasing a miracle that brings you to a deeper trust and understanding of God. And so if you're there in Romans 4... In Romans 4, let me, let me read. What I'm going to read is some of the greatest writing on the grace of God. And I'm going to read a, a passage, and when you read it, you're going to think, how does this even relate to God and miracles? Because what I'm going to read to you is Paul's argument about salvation through grace or justification by faith. Um, it is one of the most well-constructed arguments ever, ever made. It's almost like Paul is a lawyer and he is making his closing remarks. In fact, Romans 3 through 11 or 12 is actually has been studied and dissected by law schools because Paul is so concrete and resolute and conclusive in his argument that we cannot be saved by what we do. We can only be saved by the goodness of God. And that Jesus died and paid our bill. And now salvation is not by doing all the right stuff. Salvation comes by believing Jesus paid for what separated me from God. And nothing, you can't add anything to it. You can't add anything to it. That, that's conclusive. That is it. That's the bottom line. And so Paul, Paul makes these remarks. Romans 4.3 and then I'll skip to 18. 4.3 says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Verse 18, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. To me, that's two different kinds of hope. Contrary to his hope, 
He hoped in the Lord. That's what I think that means. Contrary to natural hope, he had supernatural hope in God so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. And therefore, why? Because he was fully convinced. Therefore, it was accounted to him as righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. So this is, we're the us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. I call this message Chasing Miracles, and that's what I want us to do. And if you're going to chase miracles, let me, let me give you three points here that you can write down. It's not a list. It's not a formula. It's actually just to keep me on track so I don't keep rambling. That's why I have points. People are like, Pastor, I love your points. I'm like, they're not for you. They're for me. <laughs> right? Now I know what I'm trying to say and when I finish. But here's the first thing. And I think when we look at Abraham, this is what we see. If I'm going to chase a miracle, first of all, I have to believe God. I have to believe God. It sounds pretty simple, but, but let me explain. Verse 3 of Romans 4, we said, what does it say, Abraham? Believe God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so as we said, Paul is making this argument for salvation by grace, right? And he is using Abraham, who the Bible says is the father of our faith. In other words, he is the origin. He is the father of faith. He is the origin and the example of what faith looks like. He's an example of what happens when you really believe God, when you really have faith. And so Paul is saying, if you want an example of faith, if, if you want someone who has faith, if you want to see what faith looks like and how it's played out in someone's life, Abraham is the father of it. He was the first one that got it right. He was the origin. He's the example. He's the person you look to. He's the model. He said he's the father of faith. And so what did Abraham do? Well, God came to Abraham and God said in Genesis 12, I'm going to make you a great nation and I'll give you more descendants than, than the sand and, and more than the stars. And I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you famous. I'm going to bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. I'm going to make your name great. And Abraham left Haran. At that time, his name was Abram. He didn't know God before then, but he left Haran. And, and there was something so determined in him. There was something so concrete and sure in him about God and what he had heard from God. The way that he believed God was so certain that God looked literally at not just Abram, but the way he believed God. And he said, that belief right there is valuable enough for me to grant him righteousness. I'm going to take the way he's believed me and it's so valuable, I'll give him righteousness. This was before the cross, before the tomb, before Jesus. But yeah, there was something about the way that Abraham believed God. And God said, that's valuable. I'm going to make him righteous. And Paul said, this is the example of faith. This is what faith looks like. Now, here's where we turn a little bit. That faith that became our example that faith that was so valuable to God that he granted righteousness, that faith wasn't for conversion. 
Abraham wasn't believing that he could die and go to heaven. Abraham wasn't believing that he could even be right with God. Abraham wasn't answering an altar call to receive eternal life. That faith that Paul says is an example to us was Abraham's faith that God could do a miracle. Genesis 11 tells us that Sarah, who became Sarah, Sarah was barren. Abram or Abraham and Sarah, Sarah, the same people, Abraham and Sarah were barren. They could not have children. And what made Abraham that faith in God to follow God, it wasn't about having his name written in the Lamb's book of life. That faith to follow God wasn't about salvation by grace through faith. Abraham, honestly, at that point, wasn't really chasing God at all. Abraham was chasing a miracle that God had promised. God offered him a son, and he could have a son no other way. And so the faith that is our example, are you hearing me? The faith that Paul built his argument on to the Romans, this faith that is a model for us, the origin of faith, was not faith for conversion. It was faith for a miracle, and having faith for the miracle brought a conversion. That's the bedrock. That's the cornerstone. That we believe that God is a God of miracles. Abraham didn't follow God because God offered to give him eternal life. Abraham followed God because God offered to give him a son. And I know a lot of people say, well, you know, pastor, you're just sitting here making God sound like genie in a bottle. You know, you're telling people seek God's hand when you're supposed to seek his face. Well, if you get his hand, it's not far from his face. Just look up a little bit right there. <laughs> Got to seek it. Don't seek God's hand. Seek his heart. I've heard all the phrases. Don't seek his hand. Seek his... Well, if you get his hand, there's an artery that will run right to his heart. Just hang on to it. What no one wants to say, but is absolutely true, is no one in this room followed God because you knew him. You followed God because he offered you something you couldn't get any other way. And for some people, it was eternal life. For some people, it was peace. For some people, it was hope for a marriage. For some people, it was hope for health in their body. For some people, it was heaven and not hell. But why? you go back to the origin of anyone's faith, and it wasn't faith just to go to heaven. It was faith for something you couldn't get any other way, which may have included heaven. Because we're not mature enough to say, I want to be saved because I really want to be friends with God. No, I want to be saved so I'm burning hell. I want to be saved because I want eternal life. I want to be saved because my marriage is falling apart. Here's what happens, right? Can I be honest? I think God's okay with whatever brings us to him. And usually what brings people to God is some kind of fit hitting some kind of shan. And when the fit hits the shan... We got to go to church. <laughs> My wife says she's leaving. Honey, I want to go to church now. Football's not as important. We got laid off. We got to get in church. The kids are growing up. We got to get them in church. We got a bad doctor support. We got to get them to church. What brought you to God? You felt like he could offer you something that you couldn't get any other way. And no, that's not the maturity of where our faith should end up, but that's for most of us where it begins. 
And it was the same way with Abraham. Abraham followed God because God offered him a miracle. And, and, and I'm going to say something, and, and I'm going to say it, and some of you are going to balk at it, and then I'm going to read the scripture, and you're going to see that I'm right. And we all had to talk about you balking at it. So I've set it up so you can put your poker face on and just nod whether you believe it or not, because I'm going to prove it. <coughs> you cannot follow God unless you believe he's a miracle worker. There's not another way to follow God. In order to follow God, you have to declare that he's a miracle worker. There's not another way. You can't follow God and, and say he doesn't work miracles. That's a conflict of faith. Let me show you what Paul said. We read it, Romans 4, 24. Paul said this. He said, also for us, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead. Does that sound like a miracle? <laughs> so this righteousness, this relationship with God, you know where it starts? When I believe God raised a man from the dead. Until I believe that God raised a man from the dead, I can't even have a relationship with him. Do you understand? This is where faith starts. Do you understand? This is where the journey starts in the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is before you and the threshold of the front door is God works miracles because God's son was actually man. He was God incarnate, right? He, was, he, he, he took on our flesh. He became a man. If he was God walking through this earth, that wouldn't have, paid, wouldn't have atoned for our sin. He had to be a man. He had to step into our flesh, had to live our life and pay our debt on the cross. So it wasn't God disguised as man. It was God become man, right? And they murdered Jesus. You don't, you don't put people pretending to be dead in a tomb. They murdered him on a cross. They pulled him off. They confirmed he was dead. The only way to get off the cross was to be dead. You understand that? And if you weren't dead, they would break your legs so that you suffocated in your own blood. The only way off the cross was they had to verify that you are indeed dead, not pretending to be dead. Your heart has stopped. In fact, doctors and scientists now tell us Jesus' heart literally exploded. Your heart doesn't explode and then you just, you're really alive. The only way off the cross was to be dead. He was in a tomb for three days. He occupied it. But on the third day, God raised him from the dead. He didn't just wake up. God raised him from the dead and he vacated the tomb. And what Paul says, this is the beginning of your relationship with God. This is what it takes to have a relationship with God. You have to believe that he raised the dead, that he's a God of miracles. The only way in the family is to believe that dad works miracles. And so that's what you believe. Abraham believed he was a God who could do a miracle. And then the second thing is you got to chase God. Now, in the beginning, it doesn't look like you're chasing God. In the beginning, it looks like you're chasing a miracle. Abraham left Haran, but it wasn't to get to know God. It was to get a miracle. Like, it, it looked like he was chasing God, but he wasn't. He didn't leave Haran because God said, I want you to know me. Now, follow me. 
God said, no, I'll give you a son. And they were saying, okay, I'll follow you. And so it didn't look like, but see, here's that progression where it starts. It didn't look like he was following a miracle. It looks like he was chasing God, but truly he was chasing a miracle. But see, here's the great thing. You can't chase a miracle and not get closer to the God of the miracle. Because the miracle comes through the God of the miracle. And God is okay with whatever brings you to him. And Abraham's chasing a miracle, but because he chases that miracle, in in Genesis 15, he has an encounter with God. I mean, there's all these encounters that he has with God. His name is changed. He cuts a covenant with God. He's, He's circumcised. God reveals to him that he is the God, we call it El Shaddai, the God of more than enough, an abundant God. So he's chasing a miracle, but as he sets out to chase this miracle, he gets to know the God of the miracle. It becomes, it becomes this process that God takes him to. If God had said, Abraham, I know we've never met, but I want you to follow me, load your camel and go this way. Abraham might have thought, well, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I could have just had really bad pizza or something the night before. But God says, Abraham, follow me and I'm going to give you a miracle. And Abraham's like, it's worth a shot. It's worth a shot. And so Abraham chases a miracle, but in chasing a miracle, he had to chase the God of the miracle. And now God takes Abraham through a process of actually coming to know him, which was God's plan all along, is that we would know him. God wants to be known. God knows you. He wants you to know him. And so God takes him on this process because you know, God, God wants us to know him. Do you know the primary um, goal, the primary objective of Jesus was to reveal the Father to us. And, and before you say, well, no, 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 no. The primary objective of Jesus was to die on the cross. Exactly. So that we would know the love of our Father for us. It was a revelation of who God, what, the woman at the well, right? It was a revelation that, hey, God loves you and forgives you and you can go and send them. The woman caught in adultery. It was the revelation that God is, he is just, but he's also just as much mercy as he is just. He's just as much grace as he is judgment. Every part of this was a revelation. So Jesus came to show us. Here's the thing. God had a planet of orphans and he wanted them to know who their dad was. And so Jesus came to this planet of orphans to reveal to us, we hadn't seen God. Jesus said, you hadn't seen God, but if you've seen me and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is like, I know you haven't seen dad, but if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Dad wants you to know what he looks like. So I'm here. But watch what Jesus says in John 10, verse 37. I love this. It says, this is Jesus talking. These words in your Bible are read. That means they're doubly important. It says, do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you may not believe me, believe the works. Notice the word works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Here's what Jesus said. Don't believe me unless I do the works of the Father. That word works is activities, deeds. Without taking through the whole study, that word works 
He's not talking about the father likes to play golf on Sundays. He's saying the father divinely intervenes in the natural realm to display his supernatural goodness. It is a direct reference to miracles, to divine interventions. And here's what Jesus is saying. Don't believe me because I said some stuff. Believe me because the lame walk, the blind see, and the dead are raised. And he said, if the lame don't walk and the blind don't see and the dead aren't raised, then I haven't done a good job of showing you who, the, who dad is. What would it be like if that was our church's calling card? You don't have to believe anything we say until we raise some dead people. When we raise some dead people, we're going to ask you to consider what we're talking about. I mean, Jesus is like, here's my business card. I'm the son of God. And here's my credibility. I raise people from the dead. Right? Do, do you see that? Jesus said, said, I'm here to reveal the Father, right? In fact, Jesus said it this way. I only do what I see the Father do. Jesus is like, I'm not trying to make me famous. There was a phrase that came out that I didn't always really understand. I think I understood the heart of it, make Jesus famous. I'm like, he's pretty famous. He's, I mean, he's had the number one bestseller for 500 years or so. Um, but, but I understand the heart of it. But Jesus said, I didn't come to be famous. I came to make the Father famous. And he said, I only do what I see the Father do. What's he saying? God, the Father does miracles. Jesus, in the Gospels, there's 31, um, 31 referenced miracles. 31 cases, if you will, of healing. There's 34 miracles in the Gospels. And some of the Gospels tell some of the same stories. But if you break them all apart, there are 31 healings, 34 miracles in the Gospel. And, and he didn't do those things to prove he was Jesus. He did those things because he wanted us to see who, who the Father was. And, and if you say, well, that doesn't, I thought it was more than that. Well, it doesn't count for scriptures that say, and Jesus healed all. There's several places that Jesus healed all who were sick and oppressed. And we don't know how many all was. We just know the ones. I think this is one of the reasons um, that, that Jesus had Luke with him. Luke was a doctor. Luke could evaluate the miracles, right? Um, also, John 21, 25 says, I suppose that if we were to try to record all the works, there's that word again, all the works that the Christ did, I suppose there would not be room enough in this world to contain the volumes. In other words, he did a lot of stuff. He did a lot of miracles. I think God just felt like, well, surely if I give them 31 individual miracles, they'll believe I do those, or 34. You see, why did Jesus do the miracles? Here's why. According to what he said in John 37, John 10, 37. He if I don't do the works of God, don't believe me. Here's what he said. Without the miraculous, there's not a clear picture of what dad looks like. The only way to see clearly who dad is, is you've got to see what dad does. In other words, Jesus didn't say you can believe in God and not believe in miracles. 
because he said the miracles tell you who the dad, who the God is. And if we don't have miracles, then we don't get to see who God is. So I got to believe in God. I have to chase God. And if I do that, I'll come to this place of trusting God. I have to trust God. It's like I said, Abraham left Haran not in pursuit of salvation. He left Haran in pursuit of a miracle. What was interesting is, and, and I'll show you this quickly, but if you follow the life of Abraham, what happened was as he chased the miracle, he got to know the God of the miracles. And he went from chasing the miracle to chasing the God of the miracle. And I can prove that in this point, that, that he chased God to get a son named Isaac. But then God, 18 years after Isaac was born, there about, God said, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham said, if you ask me, and Abraham was willing to, would have killed Isaac, but an angel stopped him. So here is this progression of I'm chasing a miracle, now I'm chasing the God of the miracle. It was the chasing of the miracle that brought Abraham to a depth of faith and trust in God that he probably would have never gained any other way. I love this verse in Romans 4, verse 20. I'll read it. We read it a moment ago. But it says this, No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew stronger in his faith as he gave glory to God. I asked him to leave that up there because we're going to spend some time here. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. What was the promise? He could have a son. No distrust made him waver, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now think about this, because God promises Abraham a son when he's 75 years old. Isaac is not born until Abraham is about 100 years old. That's 25 years of not seeing what God promised, not seeing the miracle. And I don't know about you, we've had this experience. I told you our story, Luke was a miracle. He was born. Then we decided we wanted to have more children and nothing happened. And I can tell you when you're believing God for a miracle and you're believing God for a child, and some of you have had this experience, every month you find out whether God came through or not. And every month, it's like, we're believing, we're trusting God, and then that time hits, and it's like, okay, didn't happen. And then, okay, we're going to believe, we're going to trust God, and then another month goes, didn't happen. In our story, it was because God wanted to give us a miracle between our two other miracles, who's our daughter, but that's a different story. But, but I remember month after month, didn't happen, didn't happen, didn't happen. Think about this. For... 25 years, that's 300 months. I know the story of Abraham just covers a few chapters in our Bible, but he had 300 months of disappointment. 300 months of Sarah saying, no, not this month. No, not this month. But yet the Bible says something that is so strange. Paul says it here. That almost doesn't even make sense, but it's in the Bible, so you got to look at it and read it. He said, no distrust made him waver. 300 months. But he didn't waver, but he grew stronger in his faith. Now, I explain that. Because in the Western church, if God speaks on Sunday and we don't have the miracle by Tuesday, we're not sure God's God. Right? 
Because we think, well, if God said it, then by tomorrow it ought to be here. Because I can put my hot pocket in the microwave and in two minutes I have a nice hot meal. What is it about hot pockets too? They come in two temperatures, rock solid frozen and molten lava. It's only two ways you can get them. They show those commercials. They're just giving No, you don't. You burned your face off if you did that. Anyways, but we have this thing. It's like, well, God spoke on Sunday and if by Tuesday it's not here, then obviously God must not be really God. Abraham in 25 years, but the Bible said at every disappointment, his faith accelerated. He grew stronger. Can you imagine that? Every disappointment, but his faith accelerates. Every disappointment, but his faith accelerates. For 300 months, disappointment, but his faith accelerated. Well, how did that happen? Luckily for us, Paul tells us. Notice trust made him waver concerning the promise, but he grew stronger in his faith as he gave glory to God. Here's what he said. I'm not going to own God's performance and I'm not going to judge God by his performance. I'm going to glorify the God who promised. And every disappointment, Abraham said, it was a disappointment, but you're the God who promised. It's on you to perform and it's on me to believe. Where's the burden of faith? It's on me to believe. Stop believing You'll never get there. Isn't that what Journey said? Don't stop believing. Right? And hold on to that feeling. Right? Bon Jovi, another great psalmist, said you got to live on a prayer. You're halfway there. Live on the prayer. And so here's what Paul's disappointment. I'm going to glorify God. You see, Abraham started out with his faith anchored in the performance of God, but he ended with his faith anchored in the person of God. He left Haran with his faith tied to the performance of God. But over the process of his encounters with God from chasing a miracle and having to chase the God of the miracle, he ends up with his faith firmly anchored in the person of God and not the performance of God. And I can prove it And it's a scripture I've read and preached, but I read it differently recently. And that is this in, in, I think it's Genesis 17. When God appears, he says, I'm, I'm God of more than enough. I'm God, I'm El Shaddai. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to give you the promise. And Abraham says, God, I wish you would just let Ishmael live before you. Or God, just, just allow Ishmael to walk before you, to live before you. And and so many times we read that and we think, see, Abraham is, I mean, he's 99 years old, 24 years into this, right? 278 months into this, 288 months into this. And we think, see, Abraham had lost his faith. But can I tell you what I actually think Abraham was saying? 24 years into this, Abraham's been pursuing a miracle and having encounters with the God of the miracle. And he gets to this place where God comes to him this last time to say, Abraham, you're still going to have the promise. And here's what I think Abraham said. God, I no longer need the miracle to believe you are who you say you are. 
God, you can let Ishmael live before you. I'll still believe you. Because I began this journey where we all start in our immaturity. Faith is anchored to performance. Where God grows us, if we chase miracles, if we chase him, God grows us to the place of maturity where faith is anchored in the person of God. And I think in that moment, it's interesting to me, 24 years into it, right? There's been Hagar, the scandal, and Ishmael, right? And God says, still going to give you the promise. And I think Abraham says, God, at this point, I believe you are who you say you are, and you don't need to give me Isaac for me to believe who you say you are. You can just bless Ishmael. And then Sarah conceives. And we think that's a coincidence. God's like, ha I got him. He was chasing the miracle. Now he's chasing me. And now he's safe to give the miracle too. My God, that's good preaching. Now what you pay to get in here? We're going to double it next week. Um, in Daniel... There's a story of these three Hebrew children, your shack, my shack, and a bungalow. And y'all remember that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I may have gotten their names a little confused. Whichever Bible you have. And, and short story, if you remember the, the old flannel graph Sunday school story, I remember it. You know, it had the fiery furnace and King Nebuchadnezzar and the statue. And, and, and they were Hebrews who had, who had been taken captive into Babylon. Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar had this statue. He's like, I'm going to play the, the band, the worship music, and then you're going to worship the statue, right? And, and then he said, and, and by the way, if you, if you don't worship the statue, I'm going to kill you. That kind of changes the game a little bit. Like what, what would have been like this morning if we had had ushers walking up and down the aisles with tasers? Like, hey, <laughs> worship or we're, hey. It wouldn't have been heartfelt, but it would have looked really dynamic. And, and so they don't bow down. They don't bow down. They bring him before Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, guys, obviously, you know, maybe there's a language barrier or something like that. You're not understanding. See, we're going to play. The band's going to strike up the music one more time, and you're going to bow to my statue. And if you don't bow, I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace and turn you into a s'mores. <laughs> and, and they make, to me, one of the greatest declarations of faith in the Bible. Because they looked at King Nebuchadnezzar and they said, our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. We're okay with letting God decide what he's about to do. But we're not changing who we believe him to be. And we always tell the story, and God delivered him. No, he didn't. They threw him in the furnace. Delivering would have been like King Nebuchadnezzar died and they had a party and went on about their life. That had been deliverance, right? But they were bound and thrown into a furnace. That didn't look like deliverance. It was just that when they got in the furnace, Jesus was in there too. He's waiting for them. By the way, if you get thrown into a furnace, if you get thrown into a furnace for Jesus' sake, know this, he'll be in the furnace waiting on you. But what a statement of faith. God can deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're not changing who we believe him to be. What can hell do with that kind of faith? Let me tell you my story, and I'll let you go. Um, some, some know this, some don't. But So on this weekend, we're starting this series of talking about miracles. And Thursday, I sat in the doctor's office and said, I need surgery as soon as possible. 
And so here's what kind of happened. Over the last six months, I've been studying this. Like, God, we're going after miracles. We're pursuing miracles. God, we're going to get to miracles. And, and the first weekend of this year, the first weekend I stood up and I said, hey, this year I'm believing for miracles. And I've asked God for three doctor verified miracles. This year, God, I want three that a doctor says, yep, this was a miracle. Like medicine can't, we can't answer this. Like I'm all for something happens, you go to a doctor and the medicine cures it or something like that. That's good. Or your body heals itself. That's good. God made our bodies to do that. But, but I want like three, this was the diagnosis and then it changed. And so I said that that weekend and the next morning I woke up and when I got out of bed, I thought my legs don't feel quite right. And I didn't think a lot about it. I kind of went through the day. And that day I was out in the backyard doing something and I turned around and when I stepped, my leg didn't catch me. I fell down and I still didn't think a lot about it. Right. And so I took Briggs to his basketball practice and I like to do drills with the kids and play basketball with the kids. And, and so I, I, we're doing layups and I'm like, I'll do layups with them. And so I grabbed a ball and started to do a layup. When I tried to run, I fell down and I thought, well, that's, that's kind of strange. And so I tried it again because I'm a slow learner. And, and I fell down again. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to try it again because this is starting to hurt. Um, and I didn't even tell Julie about it because you know how men we are. Like, we don't talk about that. Like, yeah, I'll go to the doctor if something falls off. But until then, you know, I don't know. But over the next week, my symptoms started changing. And, and then I woke up the next day and I felt tingly in my hands. And, and, and then my fingers went numb, and then I felt tingly in my feet, and then my feet went numb. I started with my toes, then my feet, then my legs were tingling. And then it got to where walking became really a challenge. And at that point, I thought, yeah, maybe I should investigate this a little bit. Obviously, there's something going on here. And also, my wife said, if you don't go to the doctor, you can't stay at the house tonight. <laughs> and so I like staying with her. So I'm like, okay, I'll go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor, they did examination, said, we need to run some MRIs. And so they, they did a couple MRIs. And, um, and so this week, I, we finally sat. It's been like a three or four week journey, but finally sat in an office in um, Tyler, a specialist, um, spine specialist. And um, she said, we found the problem. Uh, you have a, a herniated disc that, and she used, she's real sweet. She really was. She kind of had this real Southern draw. Not that I don't, I don't know what I have, but she, she used this medical terminology. She's like, well, we found the problem. You've got this disc that's herniated. It's squashing your whole spine. I'm like, it sounded so sweet when you said it, but I don't know that I like the sound of it now that I'm thinking about it. And she pulled the MRI up, and she's like, you can see here there's no spinal fluid here. It's pressed all the spinal fluid out. And she said, you're going to need surgery as soon as you can because at this point, you need to consider what, if there could be any long-term damage um, from this. And so that was, you know, it's like not the end of the world. It's not like a terminal thing. But at the same time, I'm, we're driving back to Longview. I'm thinking, and this weekend, I'm going to preach on the God of miracles. And I got to have one. Or I got to have... And, and I really prayed about, because some of you don't know, I... I actually can mask my symptoms pretty well because I never move real fast. <laughs> if you ever see me moving fast, then you need to run <laughs> because something is after me and it could get you, right? 
And so, it, it, maybe you notice or not, but I, you know, I come up usually when we're in video transition and you don't notice that I kind of ease up the stairs. And it's because my legs, I have to keep a knee locked or my legs may or may not decide to hold me up because as the doctor said, my brain is not communicating with the muscles in my legs. And so, um, and I have some fine motor skills and that's why I lose my balance. I've fallen several times. Um, but as long as I kind of move like this and I have to concentrate on what my feet are doing because that the normal, like you think walking, your body walks, mine doesn't. I have to think, okay, move that foot there. Okay, did it get there? So the whole time I'm talking, I'm like, okay, that foot's there. And even a couple times during this message, if you're paying attention, I lost my balance. And uh, Julie's like, honey, you, you can explain all that, but you need to walk for them. Um, because I felt, for whatever reason, I felt going into this weekend, I thought, I'm going to tell my story. Because what you need to understand, I have to live the same faith you have to live. Like, contrary to what you may believe, angels don't attend to Julie and I at our house. They don't wake us up in the morning singing Hamilton's Messiah, you know, and hallelujah, you know, and they don't bring us manna and quail and that kind of stuff. And when our dog poops, it smells just like when your dog poops, you know. It's not any miracle thing that we got going on because we're pastors. We have to walk this out the same way you have to walk it out. We have to have the same faith, the same burden of faith is on us as it is on you. And she's like, honey, if you want them to understand what you're going through, you have to walk for them. Now, I'm a little embarrassed of the way I walk, so please don't laugh, right? But if I try to walk normally, then it looks like this. Because I have to use every muscle that I can work in my body to keep from falling on the floor. The doctor said, how do you walk? I said, if you've ever seen someone who's suffering from cerebral palsy, that's what it looks like when I walk. And she said, show me. And she said, yeah. She said, because it's, a, it's the same thing. The nerves don't communicate with the muscles. And so here I am on a weekend where I'm preaching on miracles. I'm the pastor. And they want to put an, a metal plate in my neck. And that doesn't sound really fun to me. And I've been praying about this. And let me tell you where I'm at, because I have to walk this out the same as you have to walk it out. I, you can ask Julie. I've really been at peace the whole time. I haven't really worried about it. And it's true. There are people in our church facing far worse things than what this is. Um, but at the same time, I, I really don't feel like I might have surgery. I feel like what, what I've done is I've said, sometimes God gives us an opportunity. I'm not saying God made me whatever, afflicted. I don't think God makes us sick or makes us afflicted. I don't think that's what God does. He's good. And a good dad doesn't go around making his kids sick. But what I said was, God, maybe I could use this to learn how to walk in healing. Because if I can learn how to find that place of walking in healing, I can teach other people. And so I'm okay with it. I really haven't bothered. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty active, so it annoys the snot out of me. And Julie won't let me do anything around the house, and that ticks me off. Because they say I'm not supposed to move, <laughs> basically. And so I just sit in a chair. But I will say this. I prayed for many of you in that chair because I got plenty of time to pray and read my Bible, more time than I've ever had in my life. I'm convinced that at some point Satan is going to pray for my healing to keep me from praying and reading the Bible. <laughs> Pretty soon he's going to be like, guys, we got to pray. This man keeps praying for people and reading his Bible and 
And so here's what I want to say, and, and, and I want to say this, and then we can go. Um, I believe in the God of miracles. I believe that chasing miracles is critical to the Christian faith. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life chasing miracles. And here's what you need to understand. Whether I have surgery or not, I will not change my faith, what I believe, or this message. Because God's identity is not, is not in what may or may not happen to me or what I may or may not go through. That's not who God is. That's just an experience. I'm going to forever say, just like the psalmist, that he is the God who performs miracles. He displays his power for the people to see. And what I'm asking the rest of the church, and maybe not everybody, but some of you, to stand with me and say, God, doesn't matter what we see, doesn't matter what we're going through, doesn't matter what it looks like or even what the doctor said. We believe you are the God who performs miracles. We believe you display your power for people to see. And we're going to keep chasing miracles because if we chase miracles the right way, we're going to get to know the miracle worker in a much deeper way. And it doesn't matter if God does it exactly how we wish he would do it. We're still going to chase him and we're still going to chase miracles because in my opinion, that is the Christian life. And in my opinion, it's the only way to see what all of us really want to see. And in my opinion, that's how faith matures. Can you agree with me on that? All right, can you give him praise? Come on, real praise, good praise. Yeah, go ahead and stand up. You can stand up. He's good. Amen? Is he good? Does he do miracles? Does he perform miracles? Are you going to believe that? No matter what? I believe you will. Let's take a moment and bow our heads.